willing to say the name of Jesus Christ in all of our circumstances and all of our surroundings to boldly proclaim you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? All right. I'm glad you're fabulous. Do I have your focus? Do I have your undivided attention? All right. So I know that I have the responsibility to, to like hook you and to, to do the kinds of things, not these motions, it's probably not helping, but to hook you and grab your attention. But you also have the responsibility to kind of forcefully shut out the things that walked into this building with you in your mind, right? And so that's what this opportunity does is if we take a break and say, okay, Lord, there's a lot of things following me in my life. They're competing for your attention in my, in my worship time. Lord, I trust that you'll take care of those things in due time, but for now, I just need to plug in and find out what you have for me. That takes quite a bit of effort. Not real easy to do. In a smartphone culture, we've got things interrupting our thought process all the time, and our brains are now becoming wired to just want to be interrupted. You say, well, I don't like it, but then if you don't have it for a day, you feel like you're starving. So we're being conditioned to, uh, to have our attention robbed from us. And so I hope that um, you have that focus as you come in here on Sunday mornings to be mindful of what the Lord has for you in the Word of God. Uh, if you don't know me, if you're new to the church, um, it's been a couple months since I've, I've spoken and my name is Brent, one of the pastors here on staff. And it's our custom to typically once a month and typically on the third Sunday of the month, you heard Pastor Bill say that this is Advanced Sunday. Advanced Sunday means that we are going to um, do the culturally insensitive thing and separate our men from our women. And not, not, no, there's no class thing going on or anything. In fact, probably the women are getting smarter out there than, than we guys are in here, but if we're going to be honest about it. But, um, but what we're going to do is we're going to ask our ladies to go in our hub area, our men to stay here, and we're going to ask you to take some time to hear a challenge specific to um, your world. Michelle Kenny's going to take our ladies out there. Jeff Dion's going to have our men in here. If I could be very, very quick and just say, guys, it is worth your time to stick around. I know you have that freedom. We don't lock the doors. And if we lock those doors, you have plenty of escape routes if you need them. It's not a real big deal for guys to want to stick around and do more. Most of us are thinking, I got to get the chili going for the game at 430. So every five minutes counts. So, um, uh, but we're asking you guys to really make the effort to stick behind and uh, to get to know some of the guys here. Um, ladies, you do the same, please, for us. Um, Michelle's got a great challenge, and I've uh, got a sneak peek of some of it, and I think she's doing an excellent job out there, too. So we're going to try to dismiss. Uh, no, there's no try, only do in the spirit of the new Star Wars movie out, right? I don't know if that's being said in that movie, but I remember it from the 70s. I think Yoda says that. Um, so uh, we're going to end at the bottom of the hour. So, and I, I wore the biggest watch I could find, so it would remind me what I feel bad for the cripes in the front row. They're always getting blinded by the glare. All right, let's get into this. Uh, we have been meandering through, if you will, the book of James since uh, earlier this year. And so we've been taking it piece by piece. 
And um, the one thing that we're coming to discover as we get into this New Testament letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, this uh, James is writing from a place of intent. He wants his hearers or his readers to be motivated to live out their faith. He doesn't want to accept this kind of brand of what we so commonly say, I have very private beliefs. I have very strong convictions on the inside. I don't want to discuss any of them with you because they're very personal to me. James is leaving no room for that kind of um, excuse not to have a faith that is bold. In May, we started studying this uh, little passage in chapter 2 where verse 26 summed it up for us. He, He gives us that strong metaphor, just like the body without the spirit is a dead corpse, so also is your faith without work. So also is your faith without actions. If you have nothing backing up what you claim you believe, it is a lifeless, pulseless corpse. That's what your faith is. Pretty strong words, but James isn't really playing around here. He figured, I've only got five chapters to squeeze this in. I'm going to get it all out now. Just kidding. Let me put it to you uh, a little bit stronger. This is what I think James is really getting at. The only true faith in Jesus Christ is one of action. Now, if, if you really took that to heart, we could close our time here and just say, okay, message received. If James is right that the only true faith in Jesus Christ equals action, then we have our assignment right there. Well, what am I supposed to do? Where's my action coming from? Where are my marching orders? And then then we start to scour the scriptures. What am I supposed to be about as a believer in Jesus Christ? And perhaps the key to this whole letter, this one verse that jumps out, that uh, we're going to get into just a little bit here in our brief time this morning, is in chapter 1. And it sounds a little repetitive to the one we just paraphrased from chapter 2. Verse 22 of chapter 1 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude or uh, live in delusion, who delude themselves. And I love what James has done here in the first chapter. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of seeing uh, the, the longer I've gotten into this book that I, I think this is what he's up to. James knows that he's got some very difficult things to share in this letter. And uh, he is going to come at this from a standpoint of, of what good communication does. It gives you an introduction. It gives you a chance to kind of brace yourself for what's to come. Now, teasingly, I'm not saying this was a good introduction, but it teasingly, I kind of said to you, do I have your full attention? And in a sense, what James is doing in the beginning of chapter one is saying, I need your full attention because the things I'm going to say are going to be a little bit difficult to swallow. So I need you ready for that. And and what James, I think, is going to do is he's going to employ some very good introductory techniques. And a good introduction sets the stage for the main course. It says, this is what's coming, just so you know where I'm going. It helps remove attention barriers. That's why we said, isn't it amazing if I just do this? How you just kind of perk right up and go like, what is he getting at? And so that's what a good introduction does is it breaks attention barriers. Are you with me in thought and focus? But more importantly, I think a good introduction says, I know you're not going to agree initially with everything I'm about to say. So let me gain some buy-in from you as we get closer to the main point. And that's not trickery. What that is, is that's setting you, uh, preparing you or opening up your thought process to say, okay, I can't be caught in my own little narrow way of thinking. I have to be ready to receive what's coming. And I think that's what James has been doing. 
in the first chapter of this letter. He could have dove right in and said, you're ignoring the poor at the expense of impressing the rich. He could have come out and said, you know what? Your faith is a joke because you're not doing anything with it. Or you're all murderers and the weapon you're using to kill one another is your tongue. You employers are abusing your employees and you're keeping all of your profits for yourself and you're not being charitable to those that are working so hard for you. Or you make promises, but you don't keep them. Now, he says all of those things in this letter coming up. Those are very difficult things to hear. But he doesn't start off with that. Paul might have started off that way. He almost started off that way to the Corinthians. He had some very difficult things to say, and he gets right into it right out of the gate. But I appreciate what James is doing here under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in saying, before we get to those very difficult things to hear, what you need to hear is, is that God is on your side, that he is delivering this hard truth because he loves you, because he has greater things prepared for you. He says in chapter 1 things like, don't lose hope in your trials. They count for far more than you think. He says, we only get real wisdom, this thing that we all kind of struggle to want to achieve and to get and to maintain. We only get that from above. And and, and God, your father, is a giver of good gifts. And he says, if you just simply ask for it in humility, you'll receive wisdom. He also encourages those in humble circumstances and says, those are the those are the places the Lord really honors. This short-term prestige that everyone's living for dies by the wayside. It burns up like the grass. James says that your great protector, your great provider, he's not trying to sabotage you in life. When you think you're being overwhelmed, you're being tempted beyond what you can handle, he is in it for you. He is not trying to trip you up. Those things don't come from the Father. He has always provided a way of escape. James says all of these things so that you and I understand when he says the harder things, we're going, okay, I understand I need to hear this because God is all of those things that James started off by telling us. And so now that James has established a starting position, he says it's time to go to work and that's for you and for me. And so we get into this a little bit. We got into this a couple months back actually in verse 19 of chapter one where he said, everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We said that uh, James gave us a math equation there. He says, if you have two ears, you can subtract one mouth and that will equal faithfulness. That will equal effectiveness. If you listen twice as much as you speak, you will gain friends. You'll win friends and influence people. Maybe that's how Peel got his whole subject on that. He says, if you, if you listen twice as much as you speak, what you are demonstrating is an attitude of service. I care more about your success than mine. I care more about what's on your heart. I care more about your fears than expressing what mine are, all that kind of thing. And, and my challenge to you a couple months ago was if you start conducting yourself that way in all of your relationships, you're going to notice that people want to be around you more. You know, so often as people are saying they, they want to help somebody in their church, they, they defeat themselves before they even start trying to minister to whether Why? Because I don't know enough Bible verses. They, we always boil it down to, as a, someone who likes to train in counseling and everything, I'm always hearing from people, I just don't know enough Bible verses. And I'm like, well, the Bible didn't go anywhere. We'll give you time to find those things. But what you have to demonstrate is a listening spirit. A hearing attitude. Remember we said that David's men were quick to hear because he said, if I could just get that drink from the well when they were at battle, a couple of those guys said, oh, we'll get it for the king. 
And they ran and risked their lives to get that drink because they were quick to hear, which meant they were active to serve. I heard a song this week, uh, a worship song that uh, I think just boiled it down perfectly well. It just had this little phrase in it, be the first to come last. person that is quick to hear is slow to speak. And we were warned from this that over-talkative people reveal that they are self-servers. They're in it to be heard, not to hear. And we said a very close friend to being quick to speak and, and very slow to serve in those negative ways is being quick to be angry. And while the Bible allows for an anger that is godly, most anger is self-centered. Even if we claim we're doing it for God, there is an anger that God allows. He says, be angry and do not sin. So we know it exists. But the warning is that most of our anger that we express really makes us feel better for the moment or mostly allows us to demand what it is we feel like we deserve in the moment. And we have to be careful of that. So James is saying it's time to get to work in those two verses, 19 and 20. But he continues his thought in verse 21, which is where we're picking this up now. He says, therefore, because we've established all of those things, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And I'm, I'm pulling out of this verse a few just kind of uh, exclamatory statements, things that I'm hearing as I'm seeing this. So don't think this is necessarily a, a, a definition of any Greek that's going on here. But I see very exclamatory statements coming out of this because I'm always trying to share with you that when I read the scriptures in black and white, I have a tendency to uh, make them very low-key discussion. Do this, set this aside, you know, and it's almost like you're hearing one of those perfect audio recordings of the Bible. And we miss often the exclamation that's in it or the force that is in it. You guys understand that from text, right? You get text that you misread because you don't hear any emotion in it or the emphasis in certain things is missing. And we're guilty of the same thing often as we read the scriptures. I think James starts right off by saying, change your dirty clothes. What are you wasting your time with those filthy rags for? He says, putting aside all filthiness... And he says, and after you've already cleaned up all of that, go back in and anything that remains of wickedness, get rid of that too. And he's specifically saying, get rid of it. When I see put aside, I think, you know, kind of fold it up a little bit neatly, set it aside in case you want to go back to it. It's right there. And don't we so often do that with our filthiness, with our wickedness? I don't really want to remove it. I just want to set it aside to show that I recognize that it has its own place, probably doesn't belong in my life, but I'm not saying I'm willing to get rid of it entirely. And so we put things aside in a way that we can go back to, but James is like, get rid of it. Now, the intent of the writer is not saying this, what I'm about to say, but I want to use this as just an expression of the energy that should go into getting rid of our dirty clothes. If you've seen any crime shows, if you've watched anything where the murderer is trying to get rid of the evidence and the DNA, we always go, well, this person, the person that's thought through everything... I sound like I'm promoting something here. The, uh, the person that's thought through everything, they've, they've covered all their tracks. There's no uh, trace of anything. We call those people criminal masterminds because they've figured it out. They've cracked the code. But so often the quote-unquote average person that hasn't really thought through this, acted in a fit of rage or whatever, has all kinds of traces left behind. And it's a matter of time before they're busted. 
And with science developing like it is, there's all sorts of ways they can find these things out and connect these dots. Why? Because the murderer did not go through the diligent care to remove all traces of the thing that would come back to, to get them. So is James saying this is how we cover up a murder scene? No. But he's saying to put off your filthy garments means to get rid of them entirely so that the traces of DNA of that former life, of those former actions, are just removed from you. And you can say to the inspector, check around, I got nothing to hide. Because the, the Bible tells us that Jesus has given us a wardrobe of righteousness, a closet full of pure garments. And James is saying, don't you see all those things hanging? And you're going to keep wearing those things and let them hang and drip over you? Now, those things that we're talking about, this filthiness, this wickedness, there's no real point in us going into what all those things can mean. Romans 1 tells us that as we are born, we are born in an awareness of God. And I believe that as we are born in an awareness of God, we're born of an awareness of holiness, which then is in direct contrast to wickedness. So we can deduce then that we are born with an immediate awareness of what wickedness is. Now, we've witnessed, as culture has moved on, our sensitivity to those things has, has waned quite a bit. But really, there's no sense in going through what all of these things mean at the moment because we know. We know the things that we take off for just the moment or we set aside or we just said, I'm sorry, but this is comfortable. I'm not taking this off yet. We know those things. And James is saying you have to be forceful. You have to be diligent. Hebrews 12.1 tells us that, that we have to also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As we pile our clothes up on the floor and we're putting them just at arm's length so we don't have to get rid of them entirely, what do we do? We're tripping over them in the middle of the night. We're moving one pile over here and it's just a pile that's just moving around the room. It's the thing that easily trips us up and entangles us. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, if you get dressed appropriately for the race, which often means in terms of competition, competitive sports, is very light clothing, very close to your body, so there isn't this movement and encumbrance that happens as you're trying to run. So James is saying more than just put those aside for the moment. He's saying get rid of them. And I think the next statement that I, I gather from this, this passage of Scripture is he says, receive the only gift that will save you. There's an urgency to this. He says, in humility, receive the word of God, which is implanted in all of those that call on the name of Jesus. I think it's important that this comes right after he's saying uh, to, to not use your own anger because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, because pride is anger's best friend. And by best friend, I mean that moron that wants to get you in trouble all the time. You know that kid you grew up with? It says, hey, go do this. Hey, try this. He has no intention of doing it himself, or he won't do it unless you do it too. And he's trying to push you out the door to do something that's going to be entertaining for him. Oh, I can't believe he's going to do this. This is great. This is what pride does to anger. Pride says, hey, anger, why don't you go out and make a fool of yourself? Why don't you go out and kill that relationship? Why don't you go out and embarrass yourself in public because you're going to pull a nutty? Why don't you go and do this right now? And pride says, because we deserve this. We deserve you to go out and stand up for us. We deserve you to go out and fight this battle. Being quick to anger says, I deserve fill in the blank now. 
I deserve respect. I deserve a raise. I deserve uh, anything. Just fill in the blank. I deserve it right now. And anger says, oh, we can accomplish that. Just let me at it. What humility does is humility opens a door to truth. And, and it's, it's not phony in a way that says, oh, come right in, truth. I know this is going to be a great kind of discomfort. Why don't you come right in and expose everything that's ugly about me? Instead, humility says, I know that what this visit means. I know this isn't going to be fun. I know this isn't going to go down well, but I need you in my life. I need you in my home. So I'm going to open the door. You come in and you do what you're supposed to do. And the whole time, the whole time pride's in the background going, you don't have to put up with this. Shut the door. I'm going to send the other guy out. And humility says, why? We don't deserve any of that. Humility fights that push from pride, which then kind of calms anger down and keeps anger in the closet. So James is saying, why don't you receive with humility the only gift that will save you? And then in verse 22, he says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. In other words, do what you know to be right. We make this whole idea of living by faith so complicated. Well, I don't know the answers. I don't know. And the reality is with the presence of the Holy Spirit, we know more of what we give ourselves credit of knowing. The problem is, do we do what we know to be right? And James is war- warning us to not delude or deceive yourself. And if that's a foreign concept to you and you're going, is that even possible? I remember for years just thinking I'd trip over this, this verse in, uh, in 1 John 1.8 that says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And I remember thinking, this is so weird. How do you deceive yourself? There's nobody walking around that says, I don't sin. Anybody I've ever met just says, well, I'm not perfect. We kind of minimize how bad we are, but we say, well, I'm not perfect. So I didn't understand this concept of deceiving yourself. I I don't have time to get into it, and I've shared it with uh, some of the people who have been here for a while, but I personally experienced what it was like as a kid to cover up a lie, and then I covered it up for so long, I started to believe it. It wasn't until I was a young adult, I admitted it to somebody not knowing I was admitting it. I was having a dream about something the night before, and I said, well, I had the weirdest dream that I did X, Y, and Z, and my dad says, so it was you. <laughs> I deceived myself. I even, it, re, it, was, it became a reality to me. I thought it was just a dream, and he says, no, 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 we were looking for the bad guy the whole time. It was you. Oops. It's possible to deceive yourself. So James is saying, don't be one of these people that walks around and is able to say on the outside, well, I know I'm not perfect. But if someone pressed you on, why do you do this? Why do I don't do that. I'm not that person. We start living in a self-deception. The guy or the girl in the audience of truth, because he's saying, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers only. So I, I see that as us being in the audience of truth and, and hopefully and prayerfully you've found that uh, the longer you've spent here at faith is that we're trying to share with you the truth as best as we interpret it. But you have yourself in the audience of truth. That guy or girl in the audience of truth can be just as guilty of not doing the right thing as the blatant disregarder. That one who says, I don't need church. You see, you and I are okay with going to church. You and I are okay with hearing the strong preaching of the word of God. It's the doing part that we go, I'll get to it. 
So James continues and says, here's our warning. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So that's James' warning to us. Jesus said something quite similar in Matthew 7 in his Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about the wise man and the foolish man. In verse 26, I'm just going to paraphrase for us here this morning. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine, that's the person that's put themselves in the audience of truth. They're hearing the truth. They're not shunning it. They're not going, oh, church is for idiots. Or I hate the Bible. That preacher's always whatever. This person is okay with being in the audience. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and it comes crashing down. And in stark con- that's in stark contrast to just a few verses earlier where he says, anyone who hears these words of mine, anyone who's in that audience of truth and does act on them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock and his house stern- stood firm. So please join in me, uh, join with me in this kind of um, uh, uh, confession or, or, or momentum in our life and say, please stop telling myself, I'm going to stop telling myself or deluding myself that as long as I go to church, as long as I put myself in the audience of good things and things of truth, that I'm in good standing with the Lord, that that cuts it, that that gets God off my back because I went, because I, I, I was involved in something that looked churchy james is saying that that is not enough to just simply be in the audience of truth he says it's like the person who looks in the mirror and what i love about this is if you look into this he's not someone who just does a drive-by glancing it says he looks intently and he sees his natural face he can start pointing out the contours and he's looking he goes "Ooh, that part doesn't look so good and why are my cheekbones doing that and i don't know if i what's that going on there and he's evaluating everything so he's not guilty of not paying attention you can't pin this guy on not slowing down enough to see his flaws the shock of it all is that he looks at it anyway and says good enough for me i'm gonna just leave it that way and he walks away forgetting what he just saw while everyone else can be offended by his hideous presentation. (laughs) You ever think for a second that pride can be found in not paying attention to the way you look? Isn't that a little weird? Isn't that a little upside down? We always picture the person that puts a little too much time into the way they look. They're the ones guilty of pride. And James is saying, if you're quick to dismiss what you need to fix, you're guilty of pride as well. Because you haven't received that change. Uh, What we're going to see here in verse 25, let's go ahead and read it real quick. He says in verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law. So he's looking at this perfect reflection, this law of liberty, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Our faith is made real through doing what we've heard to do by doing what that perfect reflection has revealed back to us. I love that phrase in there, the law of liberty. We have, we have this, this bent against law in our natural selves. We see speed limits as the thing that's restricting us. 
We see laws as the things that hold us back from expressing freedom. All God ever intended for law was that you and I would be able to play it safe and thus be able to enjoy a long and eternal life. What we did was we violated God's perfect law because we were never going to be perfect as God was perfect anyway. And so then he had to put in place a rescue because we broke that law. Law, the law of liberty is this freeing sort of, you mean if I stick to God's guidelines, I enjoy life the way it was meant to be? Instead of looking at the, the 65 mile an hour speed limit on the highway as the thing that is personally offending you because you can't go 75, I see it as the thing that is saying, this is how we all stay alive. This is how we stay on the highway and get back and forth to work. This is how we do what we're supposed to do. But so often, because we are full of our own view and our own selves, as James is saying, we see law as the offense instead of seeing it as the opportunity for all of us to do what we do, what we're supposed to be doing. There's a character here. There's a character of the doer. The doer is the one who allows the penetrating power of the law of liberty to point out the things that are chaining that person up or, or seeking to enslave them and keep them bound in a cell. The law of liberty says this is how you avoid the cell. And so the character of the doer is the one that says, I need that as often as I can get it. Please remind me. The character of the disobedient studies intently his own flaws, but then does nothing about it. And as, J, as Jesus warned us in, uh, in the parable of the foolish man, in great was his crash. So here's where we're at with this. The call of James, as we're going to see bearing out here, is to stop ignoring what truth is telling you to do. Yes, we take that first step and we become willing to be in the audience of truth. You know, arrogance would say, well, if I don't intend to do anything about it, then I shouldn't even bother going. I shouldn't even bother listening. But what James is saying is you've taken the right step by at least being able to hear truth, but true receiving is then doing something with it. Yes, it's important for us to be around truth. You and I need to read our Bibles. Have you ever heard a pastor say that before? You ever heard churches emphasize that before? We're coming up on January, and in January we have a tendency to want to roll out a new challenge to you. Uh, read your Bible. And, and if the, if the, if the, if the um, commitment breaks down and we lose sight of why we're even engaged in this practice anyway, we see it as, well, I, I got behind on checking off the boxes, so now I'm going to give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. The intent was for you to be available to the perfect law of liberty. The intent was you, for you to allow the truth of God's word just kind of wash over your souls like a nice warm shower. So the, the, the intent wasn't for you to check off a million boxes so you can say you've done it. But as we were saying when we were talking about measuring our results as we move to 750 and all that sort of stuff, we're people too. It helps us. It's therapeutic to check off a box. It makes us feel like we're moving forward. There's something to that. And so we encourage that practice. Check off the boxes. But if you get behind, there's no shame in saying, well, I'm just not giving up even though I've blown my, my Bible in a year plan. I'm not giving up and I'm going to still stick with it. Why? Because I continue to put myself in the audience of truth. Continue to do that. 
I'm finding for myself this year, especially, I'm just going, Lord, I'm just not receiving enough of your word. I'm getting my own thoughts. I'm not hearing enough of yours. I'm going to try to shut my mouth a little bit more and try to use two ears and listen to what you have to say. And I find that to be very healing. Listen. Practice it in singing, you know, you know, let some of these songs that we do in church and stuff follow you home. Find them on the internet, you know, sing truth, practice, all that sort of stuff is important. You're putting yourself in the audience of truth, but do not stop there. Do not get that false sense of satisfaction that, oh, I've become a religious person. Oh, I'm faithful to a thing. I'm, I'm faithful to, to attendance. I'm faithful to hearing. I'm faithful. James is saying that isn't faith. That's half the formula. The other half is doing. So what are we to do? Well, the Bible, of course, is full of answers to all of this. But for the church of Jesus Christ in this New Testament era, it boils down to a handful of things. There's various ways of doing this. There's various styles of accomplishing it that each church does. Doesn't make a lot of them right or wrong. But uh, it's important for us to understand what the Bible is talking about. Let let faith push us into action. Are you disconnected from other believers? Are you buying the lie that pride tells us that says you can do this on your own? You don't have to bear your soul to anybody around you. You don't have to let them see your flaws. If they just see you on Sunday mornings, they'll know he's checking his box. He's still coming. She's still coming. And that's good enough for me. Or is it important enough for you to say, I'm not going to make it that way? I can pretend only to a certain period and eventually I'm going to have to do this with friends. I'm going to have to do this with like-minded people. We need to connect with other believers, not because they're perfect or better than us, but because they understand the struggle. But it's important too to find those that have gone through some of those struggles and have come out the other side. Not so we can all huddle and just, you know, ruminate on our brokenness and everything. Well, we're not going anywhere. Let's not go anywhere together. But to find those people that are growing and can lead you along as well. And no, those are not only pastors, believe it or not. I'm looking at faces all over this room that I would send people to you to guide and mentor them because of what you've gone through and how you've allowed the Lord to work in your life. So we connect with other believers. We give ourselves in service to his kingdom. Now, we're coming up with all different kinds of ways here this year about how we can plug you into service. To keep you busy? No but to allow you these vehicles, these opportunities in places to exercise your faith so that we're not guilty of just being in the audience of truth, but we're actually going to get up from the audience and go out and practice. And then lastly, it always comes down to reaching out to those who don't know him. To be willing to share the faith that has changed your life with those that don't know him. And I don't know about you, I get tired of hearing that challenge, but at the same time, the Lord says to me, but you can never ease up on needing that challenge. And I say, you're right, because I am not naturally inclined to want to go and just kind of offend somebody with the presence of Jesus Christ. I'd rather warm them up. I'd rather talk to them for about 12 to 15 years about their interests. And then maybe eventually, hey, do you know who Jesus is? That's me naturally. But thanks be to God, he hasn't allowed me to stay there. Be willing to reach out to those who don't know him. It boils down to those three things. Connect with other believers, serve God in his kingdom, and also be able to reach out to those. Then we have a faith that is alive. Then we have a faith that is built on action and not just by mere acknowledgement that a thing is true. 
Let's pray, and then we're going to turn these things over to our, um, our men of faith and our women of faith, and we're going to separate. I'm just going to say that, um, ladies, as you're making your way out to the hub, um, we've microphoned Michelle finally, so you're going to be able to hear her, but uh, still we would appreciate you kind of huddling up quickly and uh, getting in place so she can begin her thing. And then kids will be available for pickup after all of that. So about quarter of is when they'll be available for pickup. Men, we're going to ask you to stick behind. Please don't go anywhere. And even if you want extra credit, you can start making your way towards the front. We'll give you a gold sticker or something like that. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, so much for what you do. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for giving us your truth, but not letting us get fat on it. Thank you, Lord, for challenging us to go out and exercise based on the protein of your word that you've given us. So, Lord, we pray that we'd be faithful to it. I pray that this church would continue to be marked by believers in action. We thank you, God, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.